I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with an episode about content made by you. Content creation is critical to the success of any professional endeavor. It is no longer acceptable to simply do the work and let it speak for itself because there are too many other talented creators doing both the work and showcasing it themselves. You can thank social media for that, and regardless of how we might feel about it, it's here to stay. The following conversation was recorded live from the West Edge Design Fair. This is a media masterclass that covers the topic of content ideation, creation, development, distribution, and protection. That's right, protection. That last part might sound foreign, Uh, But it's a critical component to this. Your intellectual property rights are as important as the quality of the content itself. You should know what they are, even if you choose to do nothing at all. The panelists include Becky Allison, Peter Christensen Valley, Sheila Gibson, intellectual property rights attorney. This panel covers a lot of ground. Please note that the legal advice heard here is not specific to any case or situation. Sheila's not your lawyer unless you retain her. And no advice here can be taken as legal advice unless you do, in fact, retain her. See, that's called a legal disclaimer. One of the many things you'll hear about in this Media Masterclass episode of Convo by Design. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zanger, a fantastic company and an equally fantastic design partner. While the Walker Zanger brand was built on the promise to inspire designers and architects to do their best work, there's far more to it than that. Yes, that promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But at the heart is a family-owned and operated business that provides stunning surfaces for a well-designed home and does it to make designers and architects do their best work for their clients. Walker Zanger started in 1952, and they are absolutely one of the best trade partners a designer can have. Check out their newest collaborative line with designer Pieta Donovan, a collection of cement and ceramic tiles inspired by the patterns and colorways of the 1970s and created with a comfortable modernity. Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design, featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create. And they provide homeowners with the materials that dream kitchens and baths are made of. Check out any of their 14 showrooms across the country or shop online, walkerzanger.com. This conversation is a media masterclass. We're gonna be talking about how to create content for your brand. And you know, it's really interesting because I've had this conversation so many times with creatives of all kinds, designers, architects, who don't necessarily, if you're here, you're, you're probably a creative. And many of you don't actually consider yourselves publishers. If you, if you have social media, if you have a website, if you put out a newsletter, if you send out emails, you're a publisher, whether it's to 10 people or 10,000 people. So we're gonna be talking about the content that goes into furthering your brand. I have three amazing guests, um, and I'm gonna let them introduce themselves, and I'll start with Peter. Hi, my name is Peter Valley. I am a photographer here in Los Angeles. I've been shooting architecture interiors for just, just shy of 40 years, and um, I've seen just about everything, and I'm curious to see what Josh is going to ask us today, and I'm, I'm here, and I'm happy that everybody came to see us, so thank you. 
Thank you. Um, I'm Becky Allison, and I own a graphic design firm in Los Angeles called Beck Design. And we specialize in brand development with brands from the very beginning. And we also work on marketing and websites. And um, I also do work with Snyder Diamond, and they do a lot of high-end kitchen and bath appliances, and I do all their marketing. And um, I've noticed that a lot of interior designers don't have a good headshot, don't have a good website, and they have beautiful work. So I'm hoping to work with interior designers to help them with that. Hi, my name is Sheila Gibson. I'm an intellectual property attorney. I've been doing patents, trademarks, and copyrights for 17 years now. And in January of this year, I founded my own law firm, RIP Law. And, and with that, I'm actually going to start there because everything else that we're going to talk about it's really interesting if you talk to people about what's the, what's the most frustrating part of the business. We had a panel this morning about brand development. And it was really interesting what came up. I, someone publishes my work, but they don't give me credit for it. Someone publishes you know, photographs, but they don't, they don't tag what the job is, who the designer was, who the architect was, who the photographer was. Just out of curiosity, Sheila, what's the... What's the, what are the, what's the legal exposure somebody could potentially face for putting up images that they don't have the rights to do and that they don't, they don't own the rights to them? The most important thing to consider in this space, especially if you're posting to Instagram or posting to your website, is whether or not you own the copyright or have permission from the person who does own the copyright. Everything, every art uh, that is fixed in a tangible medium that includes pictures, there is a copyright attached to that as soon as it's fixed in that medium. So whether or not the owner of the, whoever took the photograph, took the time to then register it for copyright protection, there is already copyright protection attached to that photograph. And so the exposure that, that you um, run the risk is, is then violating that copyright protection and infringing on that copyright. And whether or not you're caught is another issue, but it still is exposure. And for example, Instagram has uh, copyright provisions. It's very clear, it's very easy. If it were to happen to you, and I've had to do this for some of my clients, if someone does post a picture of yours or an altered picture of yours, and in the most recent case that I handled, it was an altered picture, um, it is a very simple form on Instagram. Facebook has a similar. Um, you can also do a takedown notice for a website where you show that you are the original copyright holder. You are the creator of the work. You tell them that you believe in good faith there is a copyright violation and the image was taken down within a couple of hours. That's a simple way. If you are take it one step further and using that copyrighted work for your own commercial gain, then you're exposing yourself to even further consequences in, the, in, the, in that you then have damages that can be assessed, whatever your financial gain was for using that copyrighted work. And the, the point is, if you're a designer, if you're an architect, if you have junior designers working your social media, if they're pulling images off the website to post on, on, your, commercial, on your commercial page, there's a liability there. So I don't want this to be too legal heavy, right? What I, what I do want you to know is if you are a designer and you have designs, protect your rights. If you're a photographer, protect your rights. 
if you're a designer and you're trying to create an audience and speak to the audience, don't trample on others. And here are some good ideas, here are some good methods, here are some good strategies to create content for yourself. And I'll, I'll just start with Peter real quick. Interesting, so this morning, our brand development conversation, I asked Jeff Andrews, when you have a project, when does it make sense to get professional photography and when do you just do it yourself? He said, you always do professional photography because you don't know when you're going to get a chance to do it again. And that probably makes you very happy. Yes. Well, to, yes, to an extent. Because you're an architectural photographer. You, you shoot design. Yes, exactly. And I, I, that's exactly it. And if I could just throw in one of my little sayings, if you're going to look like, if you're going to ask a million, you better look like a million. So in this industry, it's really simple to just get above. There's so many people doing it themselves that if you hire a professional to tie it, you know, for the imagery and then like a nice um, ID package, that's going to put you further above so many people that do it on their iPhones and just think it's, I took this with my iPhone, isn't it beautiful? You know, it doesn't work like that. Like I like to say, one last thing, don't trust your niece because she might have a good camera, but she's not a professional. Okay, and, and we have to balance that against the fact that your marketing budget is your marketing budget. And you're really fortunate if you're working on a lot of projects, but that may not always mean that you have a, a, lot, of, a lot of money for, for marketing for each one, or maybe you're not gonna submit a project for submission to a magazine because you don't have the rights to do that anyway. How do you work with designers who want to shoot their projects? And I know that sounds like a, like a broad question, but, and it kind of is, but specifically, what is the best way to engage you for your services to shoot a project? And how do you, how do you work with designers with regards to the rights? Here are the rights to the images. Here's how, when you can publish them. Here's how you can publish them. Here's how I get credited. What do you ask for? Okay, so I'm pretty flexible. Um, I tend to like to over-deliver, so... For designers, I consider those portfolio shoots. The rights, um, it's, very, it's very rarely I, I even include them with designers, but it, the agreement is that they can use them for anything they'd like with exception of third-party licensing, which would mean they can't resell that photo. They can't have it published without my permission. Um, but they still do, and they still they can post it. They can submit to magazines. Um, so what I'll do then is they, if you want the whole process, they'll call me. I'll, my, ideally, I like to go see the project and get a sense of what they're shooting, uh, what they want to shoot. Um, typically, back 10 years ago, everybody was trying to get it published. These days, I don't get that much. Occasionally, I'll mention this might be publishable, but I don't even like to do that anymore. I, I think that um, my main thing is t I consider it portfolio work. And... If it goes further than that, I've got the agreement with them that I can I get the fees where you know I'll, I have to negotiate any additional fees. So, in, to that sense, I'm super flexible. I think um, that makes my clients very happy, um, and I work a lot. So, I, I don't I don't think in this business I'm going to make a killing off designers. That's my bottom line. So, um, we all kind of market to the same people, and I know the same. You know, I know the, 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 the quality everybody's trying to reach. So I, I'm, I know there's guys, like my mentor was super uptight about the whole thing. Um, I'm very flexible. So I might not be the most rigid person to ask that question, 
but I'll go in and I'll shoot the crap out of it. Someone, I, someone wanted to ask me, once asked me what my inspiration is. My inspiration is get the check. And to get the check, I got to make sure you're happy, right? So I might shoot, I might deliver 30, 40 shots in a day, and you, but you're only going to, one project only can use so many shots, but I want to make sure you have those choices. And then if, we're, if you're going to shop them to a magazine, the magazine wants to have choices. When I worked at Architectural Digest, it was like, don't try and outthink the magazines. If you're going for magazines, don't try and outthink them. Show them everything, you know, because they know what they're looking for. They know what they can make out of it. So I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. It but does. I, I just kind of always share my experience along the way, you know. Okay, so we're going to come back to photographs in a minute. Becky, when you're, when you're creating an ID for a company, you're creating the logo, you're creating graphics, you're creating a newsletter, you're creating a whole a whole portfolio to represent the media of that brand. Where do you start? Okay, so I, very, I start very simply because I think any good brand should be very, very understandable and very simple to understand right when you see it right away because it's just like an ad or a commercial. You get only a certain amount of seconds for someone to make uh, you know, an idea of what your brand is all about. So with my clients, I start with a very simple five keywords that best describe your brand and then a mission statement. And that helps them get motivated and focus in on what kind of company, what kind of image, why are they doing this. Um, and I also have them put together a mood board with me. I do like a collaborative mood board on Pinterest so we can, I can see if it's an interior designer. I can see their work. I can see their overall aesthetic. Um, and the vibe that they're going for. Um, so once we have the five keywords and the mission statement and then the mood board, then I work on brand development and uh, doing different logo concepts. So I start with five different logo concepts with different directions, and then we keep on refining in on what they want on that. So they, they give me feedback, and then we keep on going through revisions and decide on a logo. But um, I love building from the ground up, just starting fresh with a company and just having them focus in on what they're, what they're trying to do and so that people can understand them and connect with them and not get confused because if there's branding all over the place and they're just like using different styles all over the place, it's really confusing for people. But, you know, Nike, Apple, you know exactly what their aesthetic and it's all across the board. So I say that you should, all their marketing should all look within a certain style. Um, so from once you start with a brand, then you can branch out to do um, the website and different marketing materials and so on. So, yeah. And, and once you make the investment mm -hmm. in, a, in a logo, mm -hmm. if there were only a mechanism to protect from other people taking that, Sheila, I'm sure that there's a, we, it's funny, Sheila and I, Sheila has a podcast that's just about to come out on intellectual property rights. So we've been talking about this for a long time. It's really amazing how you will spend money, you will invest, you will engage professionals to create something for you, but then you won't protect it. Whether it's because you, you knew you needed to or you just didn't think about it, I can tell you, the moment you create something, and maybe this has happened to some of you, the moment you create something and somewhere down the line you see that someone has basically taken 90% of what you did, changed the color and a font, and, call, and called it their own, it's, it's gut-wrenching. It's like having your car stolen. It, if anyone knows what that's like, it feels the same way. What's protectable? 
starting with logo ID brand logo. Okay, so Logo has two types of protections. One is copyright protection, and interestingly, that would always remain with the person who created the logo, unless it was created as a work for hire from the outset, or it was assigned from the graphic designer to the person who is, who is having the work done. And so copyright protection protects it as a work of art, and the degree of creativity required for a mode for a logo, it's um, a modicum of creativity. So any logo that's more than just a typical font or some you know widget that you can find um, in the fonts or in the clip art that would be eligible for copyright protection. And again, is protected by copyright as soon as it's fixed. So as soon as that logo is done, you send out your last one, um, that is fixed and it has copyright protection. Whether it remains with the designer or whether it is transferred to you as the person who had the logo created, that remains an issue of how you had the work done and whether you had the copyright transferred to you. Um, so that's copyright protection and what that does is it prevents others from recreating it, republishing it, um, altering it, uh, so derivative works, and that's, that is the gist of copyright. Trademark protection, you can also protect a logo. So you have two options when you seek trademark protection. One is a word mark, so the name that you've developed for your company. The other is the logo. And you do those separately, and they operate independent of each other. So the word mark is what I suggest you go for first, because it's broader. And often logos change. If you look at any famous logo, McDonald's, um, you can see the history of the, of the golden arches and as they've evolved over the years. Uh, but the name doesn't change. So that is what we typically consider the broadest scope of trademark protection. And you want to do that irrespective of color and font. So the reasons to hire an attorney, there are lots of different ways to file for a trademark. And there are lots of ways to get it wrong that you cannot change, you cannot amend to correct them. So that's word mark with a logo mark. Again, you have the option of protecting your logo as its current color variations or the colors that are used, or you can you can seek to protect it as a black and white logo, irrespective of the color. So in the example you gave where the color changed, then if you had locked in that your logo was purple and yellow, then someone turned it to green and blue, then your trademark rights are limited to that color. So those are your two options for protecting your logo. And I think that's the whole question, right? Yeah. yeah. So okay. now we're going back the other way. So you take the time. You're building your firm. You're building your brand. You're creating a logo. It's yours. Protect it. So now let's talk about creating the content and how we're going to distribute it. So newsletters mm -hmm. and putting together content-driven, content-heavy <laughs> newsletters. One of the things that you do, and you do this for Snyder Diamond, and it's, it's incredibly popular. It's very well done. It's got different mod modules of content. Now, everybody doesn't, not everybody has the time and a whole team to produce something like that. Do you have a strategy for, I don't want to call it down and dirty, but it, that's kind of what I mean. It, do you have an easy way, a simple, a simplified way of doing yeah, this? Yeah, um, so content planning is very, very... Um, important. So, um, so I work with Josh on the Snyder Diamond account, and he does his podcast through Snyder Diamond. And um, so uh, we have a content calendar that we use, and as much as we can, we try and fill it all up. 
um, at least a month out. And basically, um, our newsletter goes out every single week. So all of the content is on this calendar, and it's all planned out week by week. And so we make sure that everybody's on the same page, everyone contributing is on the same page. So we have a marketing team. We have a lady that writes blog posts. We have the Convoy by Design podcast. Um, and then we put social media um, information on there. Um, so, yeah, it's really planning out the content and then doing it week by week. Yeah. Yeah, planning is very, very important. It is. And, you know, just so you know, this is possibly something that, that you can do as well. So I've been doing Convo by Design for seven years. Snyder Diamond has their content platform. They sponsor the show. And as sponsors of the show, they have, they have the rights to redistribute via their newsletter. There's no reason why you can't go out and create partnerships with content producers. I don't want you to feel like you don't know how to shoot, you don't know how to edit, you don't know how to publish. Doesn't mean that you can't be a content producer or at least a partner or find a partner for content production because you can. And right now, if you've probably all heard that content is stickier. You know, it, it goes further. Um, people are spending more time on content than traditional methods of advertising and marketing. And, you know, I keep coming back to the photographs because in the business we're in, whether it's in magazines or on Instagram or on other social or on your website, being able to display the image for the work that you've done is incredibly valuable. That being said, and I'm... I'm not asking for you to make photographers out of everyone here. There are times, maybe it's a bathroom refresh, maybe it's something where you just, you, you can't do the photography for that particular project. Do you have methods with regard specifically to architectural photography that the do-it-yourselfer can do to come up with something that is, is still a quality publishable shot. And I'm trying, to, I'm trying to walk this fine line because I'm not asking you to tell everyone, hey, tell them how to do what you do. Because you've been you doing it for- you to share that? Yeah. Oh, geez. Uh, hold the phone upside down. That's the best bet I could give you. And hold it so it's straight. Just make your line straight and take a bunch of, you know, I think the biggest thing people do is they stand there for like a little while and they line it all up and they take one picture. Take a bunch of pictures and then you just, um, all I'm trying to do is get straight lines, see as much as I can without distortion, and get a good exposure. Um, and iPhones, honestly, you know, I'll be on a shoot and the client will whip out their iPhone. I like this one. That was my last shoot. And it'll be perfect on an iPhone, and it looks perfect on an iPhone. But, you know, when we shoot it, and we're shooting tethered to a, to a computer, so we're seeing it. It doesn't always come out like that. So we, we have to do what the iPhone does later, and it does much more, it's much higher resolution and better quality, believe me. Um, but the iPhone will treat you pretty nicely if you just turn it upside down and take a bunch of pictures and keep your lines straight. And so, for a while, people were going sideways, you know, because you get more picture. I would just go vertical, hold it straight, and just, you know, up and down, maybe here, here, here. You know, it's, it's not that hard. Just think, just... Look at the photographer you like, who you would, which you would hire, and see how they did it. You know, see how they frame things. Now, here's two things to keep in mind too. If you do shoot it that way, you actually have a remarkable way to then take those photos and post them to your Instagram feed, which is fantastic. 
see, I put everything to video, so I have to have widescreen. Um, the up and down shots really do mess me up a little bit when I'm shooting video. It's a better way to shoot so that you can see it, but for video, everything has to be on a widescreen. Definitely, and, and so just to jump a little on that, I'm kind of designers, but I do a lot of work for big companies like Hilton and Related, and I have, have rights and everything with them. But Hilton got in this really strict policy of horizontal, because it took them 10 years to realize people were on horizontal for computers, but they're already 10 years behind because you know verticals work so nicely on phone, which is much most travelers are looking at these days. So that's why I came by the fact that I could shoot verticals on phones. And if that's what you're, if it's for social media, which most stuff is seems like these days, you can't beat um, just the vertical, you know, because once you turn it, even when you turn your camera sideways, it's going to still, then it's going to post it too, too narrow. So when you turn it upside down, I'll give you the tip on that. It, the, your, the lens is up here. When you turn it up down, down here, it comes more to the center of the room and the space and the lines, you have a better shot at getting the lines straight. So that's really Am good. Am I just mumbling? No, right. no, okay, no, 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 okay. no. I love it. That's good because I'm, I'm thinking along the same lines. So it's in interesting. With Instagram, just out of curiosity, show of hands, primary social is Instagram. Interest. Okay, so that's the majority of us. Does, is anyone surprised by that? Do we still use Facebook? What about to your research? My, what about your MySpace page? Everyone's got your MySpace page, right? You know what's funny? So when I was putting this idea together for you, I had I had like this 20-page, here's, we're going to talk about, know what your side is, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. But I had all these other ideas, and I wanted to sort of share one thing, that if you take nothing away from this but this, here's what I'd like you to realize. Content is not a platform. Platforms are platforms, and platforms come and go. You know, my, my background is in broadcast, is in radio. You had a station... KFWB, which was started by the Warner Brothers, right? It's not around here in LA anymore. It was here for 80 years and it's gone. You had, um, you had MySpace, we joke about them, but it's still there. If you ever looked, it's still there. It's just not doing anything. Um, you remember, remember Vine? Remember when you were making your Vine videos? Who here's making TikTok videos for your business? Nobody? Who says? Gary Vee says you should, and if Gary Vee says you should, but, but here's the thing, seriously, um, does everyone know what TikTok is, by the way? Do you know a 15-year-old girl? Because if you know a 15-year-old girl, ask her what TikTok is, and then sit down and enjoy the ride, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really fun. Um, it's also going to be incredibly stupid, like most social media can be, but my point is, it comes and it goes. If you're creating your content specifically for one platform, you're wasting, you're wasting your time and your money, not because it's not useful now, because it is, but in my opinion, and having been doing this for a very long time, content should be evergreen. You should be able to go back and use it for a long time. So I, I'm curious, Becky, when, when you're putting materials together for clients, how do you approach colors, fonts, layout, when you consider, you know, I want this to be something that's popular now, but I want it to be something that's got a lifespan to it. 
Um, well, I think that establishing a very strong brand in the beginning is very vital, and sticking to that style to dictate the layout and the fonts is very much related to that, and make sh making sure that it has its own voice and it feels like, oh, this is Snyder Diamond when I see it, you know? So, yeah, just making sure it, it feels all connected to the brand and the overall vibe of the brand that we've created. And, and when we talk about having, having something that's evergreen and having a lifespan too, you know, I've been working with, with Peter for years now. Um, I've got a partnership with the Pasadena Showcase House for the Arts. So Peter shoots it. How long have you shot for them? A long time. I've shot the program for about, this is my third year, but I wrestled it away from a guy that came from New Mexico. It took me about 15 years. So I've, I've shot a lot for the ladies and I've shot a lot for the designers. Here, so that's why you've seen so much of it. Okay. So in, in what we do, I publish his pictures. I publish them through the Pasadena Showcase House for the Arts. I credit Peter on everything that's published. And it's, it's a really good relationship. Those types of partnerships, I also imagine, are beneficial to you too, because when other designers are watching to see, you know, if the Pasadena Showcase House for the Arts 2016 isn't open anymore, but you want to see what a specific designer did back in 2016, you can go to my YouTube channel and you can see what that designer did. And when you see the images, Peter's credited. Do you, is there anything quantifiable through partnerships like that? Do you ever, do you ever get anything from, by, it's just a random idea, but that somebody said, oh, well, I saw this video from two years ago. Does that ever happen? You get work out of Pasadena Showcase House? Hmm? You mean just get projects out of them or? Uh, yeah, do you, yeah. Yeah, I think the craziest thing I did was I, um, I had a show just right in the studio, right behind us a couple years ago, and it was a DWP project uh, that I shot for a year, and it was a tunnel being dug, tying the two main lines of the city together. Um, and it came to Greg Parker, one of the, the you know, longest-lasting designers at Showcase, who did the interiors for this engineering firm's office, and the head engineer, this big, huge guy, loved design, and he went to Showcase House every year, Greg hired me to shoot their offices. This guy, we started talking. I said, oh, yeah, I shot stuff like this. And then he hired me. And so it was one of the coolest projects I've got to work on that, you know, outside of what I usually do. But past that, yeah, I've, I've made so many contacts with, um, through designers and um, just relationships you can't believe. It's, it's been, I, like I said, I brought a book of, of um, when I pitched them a few years ago, because I'm really close to the ladies. And so it was time for this guy to move on. And I've been writing this pitch in my head for 15 years, so they finally sent out this. I told her what I'd charge the, the new president. So they sent out, they did, they bid it out a couple years ago, and I put together a book of everything I shot for 15 or 16 years. It's back there, and um, it was pretty cool when I put it all together, and I thought about all the people I connected with and all the clients I got out of it. Um, it's a good feeling, yeah. So, it, I mean, it's great for, and this is probably a different panel, but it's just a great opportunity to get in and... It's like a family where you have all these, you know, but it's a, it's a, um, a, a thoroughfare where, you know, you're able to um, just cultivate work over years and make friendships and it's fun, you know. I, I once said to someone in my first day of assisting, oh, what the heck, it's interior design and photography and she got so mad at me. <laughs> yeah, it's only interior design and photography, right? But I mean, enjoy it, right? Yeah. So another question, show of hands. Um, when... By the way, what is the split here? Designers to architects. Designers? Any architects? 
Okay. All right. Oops. No, 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 no. This is good. So, question. Show of hands, designers or architects, when you do, when you finish a project, project is done, who does, who does a formal reveal? Do you do, does anyone do a formal reveal with their clients? It's through the process, right? Does anyone here shoot or produce their own content in, at their projects before they turn the keys over? No. I'm fascinated by that. So a couple of things that you might want to consider immediately. When you finish a project, when you finish the job, actually taking the time to produce content, to produce a video, even if it's on your phone, sort of a walkthrough of what you're doing. With something like that, working content into a newsletter with photography, with a 250-word plus or minus written piece, with a description and maybe a shop, the design, can, can you create something sticky from that that people would, would engage in in an email? And the email is driven by the visual, so it's driven by the photography, I would say. Okay, so I mean, and, and catchy words, of course. I will not discredit that, but uh, let's talk. Um, let's talk. We're about so it. visual that I mean, all these people here are visuals, and you guys are the target. Um, and so, yeah, they want to see. You guys want to see nice visuals, so yeah. So let's talk about the visuals. Okay. In your experience, what are, what are some of the top grabbing? Visuals. What do people want to see? What do they go to first? Mm. Um, I would just say, like, very, um, I guess, yeah, just, like, beautiful photography. It has to look eye-catching and unique. Um, I, I couldn't say exactly. It just depends on the designer. But um, what he said about taking a lot of images and just finding the right layouts, the right um, angles, um, the most unique shots, and um, that is what helps. Mm. So let's talk about headlines. Mm -hmm. Do you have a rule of thumb that you go by with mm -hmm. a subject line in an email that so works I, for So I do work with a copywriter to work on that, um, but usually questions are good. I think that's one of the, the biggest ones that we say. We always do. Um, so we use MailChimp for to send out the emails. And there's always um, there's a thing called an A-B subject test. So it allows you to set up two different um, email subjects. And then after the campaign was sent, it'll show you what produced the, big, uh, the largest amount of opens. So based off of that, we can say, oh, OK, well, this, this type of headline worked, was more successful than the other one. So that, those are really, I mean, MailChimp is really easy to use, so I recommend that if you want to do email campaigns, so, yeah. Can I jump in real quick? Yeah. You can, I, I, you survey your friends, see which images, that, things that they respond to, say, hey, I'm working on this, send an email, email out to, you know, five or six friends, if you have that many, see who responds to what. That's, that's kind of what I always pick, not necessarily my friends, but just images that people respond to. Christy right there has one of my most responded to images. It's these guns paintings on a wall or photographs on a wall, but people just love this photo. And we fussed over it and we, we played with it. Did we play with that for a while? There's three images that are tops. That's one of them. One is a Donna Livingston image of her, of her own bedroom. 
And, uh, this, it, and it was like one of the early concrete tile images I did for a woman here, Hope Alexander. And so you kind of just keep watching what filters to the top and, 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 those, and, and it speaks for itself. You never know what's going to, to um, rise to the top until you get it in front of people. So you have MailChimp, that's the easy way. Once, once, you're, once you're relatively decided, but to get decided, show it, show it to everybody and see, see where they stop when they're looking at it. We'll see where they stop. You, know, you don't even have to ask them, just see where they stop and look. You know? uh, I also love to see designers in their, in their own spaces that they've created, too. Yeah. It just, I've seen some really well-done images of that, and those I feel like I respond to, because it, it just shows the artist behind the work. And I know not every artist feels confident to do that. Like I, I, I saw a designer that I know of uh, here at the fair, and I was like, oh, stand by your work, I want to take a picture. And he was like you know, nervous about it, but it's so, it's so cool to see the artist behind the work, you know, okay. so for me so, personally. Really interesting. And if I can just share anything more with, with you about this, I don't understand why creative types for the most part are so apprehensive to be in front of the camera as well. You've created something beautiful and it's amazing. What I hear is, what I hear is you know, just take the work, take a picture of the work. I would like you as brands yourselves to think about putting yourselves in front of the camera as well. I'm curious, when you do a photo shoot, how often have you done the work and then put the designer in the work as well? Unless it was like an editorial assignment, um, it comes down to the designer wanting to be in it. And I just, I have one designer I shoot for, um, and she loves to be in the photos. So she'll go, she'll go and we'll set up the, the, um, you know, the shot, and then she'll come in and we'll shoot. We narrowed it down to about 30 images now. Sometimes we'd shoot hundreds of frames until she was totally happy. And she was at one time a model. Um, so she's really into that. And then Donna Livingston loves to be in the photos. And there's a few people that just, some people like it, some people don't. I mean, I hate it. And so the answer is, why don't you like, you asked something, like, have you seen what I look, like, I see what I look like, and I'm like, oh my God, no. I think that's probably the problem people have. Okay, I, I get that, but at the same time, I, I kind of feel like there's a certain part of the get over it bit. Um, for some reason, and this is, a, this is something I hear on a regular basis, we talk about this all the time. So part of what we do together is, you know, they are republishing episodes of the podcast, and they like to put an image with the episode. Oftentimes, I don't have images because I don't, I don't use them. And when the request is made, it's really stunning that designers and design firms don't have a high-quality level image to represent them yeah. and it's kind of surprising so one of the things that I would absolutely suggest is and perhaps maybe the next time you do a shoot maybe the next project you have that you're having shot ask the photographer go ahead no. so so what I was thinking is it goes back to my if you're gonna ask a million it better look like a million so if you're gonna put that time into your work and dial it in and spend all this time to just manipulate everything and get it just to where it looks good Spend some time on yourself. It's fine. We're going to get you, and we're going to shoot you until you're happy. So I know that, like, my own, I hate it. So until you start just giving yourself a break and just working with the photographer, we'll get a good photo out of it. And that does work well. People want to be attached. They don't, 
they, they, they need to connect, yeah. you know, and once they connect you, and I think definitely in, in design is a, a, an area where clients want to connect because they spend a lot of time with you, and, and from my perspective, there's great friendships have um, developed between designers and clients, and clients come to rely on designers, so if they see you in a photo of who you are, that, you know, that, that, um, that only helps a little more, you know? I mean, I'll go one last saying, the universal law of attraction, like attracts. So no matter what you look like, no matter what your work, work looks like, no matter how you package it, someone else out there is gonna be attracted to it. Someone else thinks like you, and so putting it together, putting it out there, that's what's gonna bring it in. Not doing anything, even if you're doing iPhone photos, do your best and, and, and just have that critical eye, the same critical eye you put on your work, you know? Don't just look like, oh, I got it, you know? Just look at it, really, is that what you're seeing? You know, the same critical eye. If you hired me, you'd have a really critical eye. Put the, just, just don't stop when you're done with a job. Keep going, because the job's over and you gotta get more work. Oh, I just made that one up. <laughs> And when it comes to creating content, I'd also like you to think about this. Content is whatever you decide it is, right? It's telling a story. How many different ways can you tell a story? You can tell a story through pictures. You can tell a story through words. You can tell a story through video. You can tell a story through drawings. Um, I think what we're talking about here is if, and I want you to walk people through the, the setup for a mail, show of hands. Does, does anyone use mailings here? Do we all use mailings? Does anyone use mailings? Okay, so because only four people raised their hands, would you like to know more about creating this show of hands? Would you like to know more about this and setting it up? Is this something that works for you if it's, if it's not too time consuming? My hope is to sort of custom tailor this to what you guys want, because here's the thing. I'm often surprised when when I go out to interview a designer, and we're, we're talking big name designers who have been doing this for a long time down to people who are relatively new but are doing something, bless you, who are doing something very new but very interesting, right? They'll show up to talk to me. I've got a camera, I've got a microphone, we're getting ready to, to do an interview, and they don't, they don't know what we're talking about they don't have their story prepared. They don't know what their branding is. They've done this remarkable design, but they don't, they don't have the toolkit to tell the story. Your story is your brand. That is everything. You, you put all this time in. This is your livelihood. This is your career. This is what you've chosen to do, being able to tell your story. And I've had some people say to me, you know, I want to let the work do the talking. Not today, you can't do it. So for me, the best experience as a, as a journalist, when a designer comes and talks to me and we're getting ready for an interview, they know their side. Sounds really stupid, but if you feel more comfortable from this side than you do from this side, you're gonna do a better interview. You're gonna be better on camera. Know your side. Know what side is best for you. Um, and by the way, I learned that in a previous life, I worked for Playboy, and I can tell you, every playmate knows their side. Every actor, actress, musician who came in for an interview, they know their side, because that's part of their livelihood. So know your side, know your story. 
And if it comes to working with a graphic designer to create the logo, you're working with an IP attorney, and it, it's not having an attorney on staff. Realistically, what all is required? It's not an ongoing thing to protect somebody's brand identity. What's required? Initially, you can do things on your own. So when you have your logo, you have your brand name, just put a superscript TM. You don't have to put it everywhere. It doesn't need to be obnoxious. But yeah, I would at least have it in a couple prominent places on your website, on your Instagram, uh, in your newsletter. Just to, And what that does is that's setting out that you're claiming this as your trademark. It doesn't mean you actually have any trademark rights, but it does let the public know that you are claiming trademark rights. Um, the other thing you can do is with photographs, for example, mark them with the circle C. Circle C, the year, your name, all rights reserved. Very simple. You can do it to any photograph you, wanted, you want to protect. You don't have to do it to everyone, but you should be doing it to the ones that you think that people might want to republish, repost, or do something with. And again, you don't have to register it, but that is enough to put the public on notice that you are the copyright holder of that photograph, of that, of that logo, of that image, um, of that layout, anything that you've prepared. And even text can be copyrighted. Literary works are also copyright protected. And then in terms of if you want to take that further step, copyright protection is really very easy. It's something that you can do yourself. There's not any, any unlike trademark, there isn't um, a place in the process where you, where you really could go wrong and it will be completely messed up. It's also um, less expensive. But you go to copyright.gov, upload the photograph, upload the literary work, upload the sketch that you've made, and I think it's $55, and you, you hit submit, answer some questions, and a few months later, you'll get your copyright registration certificate. Trademark protection, again, it's something, it's, it's a long process, but once you have it, it's about a year long, year to 18 months, but we're not talking every day. Um, you're going to talk to me in the beginning. You might talk to me if we get an office action. Um, if we filed it as intent to use, we'll talk when we have to show use of the trademark in commerce. And then you'll, be, you'll have your registration certificate. You'll revisit it at the five-year mark, again at the 10-year mark, and then every 10 years. So this isn't an ongoing talk to your lawyer every day. And most trademark lawyers do trademark uh, applications, trademark registrations on a flat fee basis. It's just easier for us, easier for you. And everybody's in about the same price range, uh, in my experience. I just had a question for you, actually. Does the copyright in the metadata count? Like, everything, my camera generates my copyright, my processing software generates my copyright, Photoshop generates a copyright, but nobody sees it. Right. So the, the point is, so you have copyright protection even if you don't mark it. Mm -hmm. And so having it in the metadata, I don't know that it helps because the, the point of having the circle C there is notice. So if, if the public doesn't see it, then there's not the notice purpose that's oh, served. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And you would have had it anyway even if you didn't mark it. So I don't know for sure that the metadata would help much. Is the C more, is, it, is putting it on there more of a deterrent than... It, it's, it should be a deterrent to some, and it will also, uh, and it, it'll also prove when you, when you have to go and prove that there was intentional copying, mm -hmm. if the public had noticed the person who took it and, and used it had noticed, in other words, that circle C was there and they cropped it out, mm -hmm. then that goes People. toward willfulness that they did infringe <laughs> your copyright. Can they put the copyright at the caption rather than putting it on the actual image in social media or Instagram? Yes, and again, though, where you're talking about the image itself... 
um, if someone's not reading that. So it's all an issue of making sure that the public has noticed that the image is what's copyright protected. Here's something else, too, that I think you will find of interest. Um, a couple years ago, I was at Modernism Week, and we were having a conversation over dinner, a couple architects, a couple designers, and we started talking about copyright protections for your designs, for your work, basically. And the architects had no idea that there were protections since, what, 1990? I'll let you... And the designers didn't even really think about it. And one of the architects asked me, she said, you know, I get paid to create the work. I create the work. Why would I even be interested in protecting the work? They paid me for it. It doesn't belong to me. It really does. If you choose not to protect it, that's your choice. But we're talking about content creation. I can't think of a better way for you to start demonstrating and protecting the work that you do every day than by creating this content, publishing this content, because keep in mind, every time I publish a video to YouTube, it's, po it's, it's postmarked, it's date marked, right? Every time I publish a new episode of the podcast, it's date marked on any of the, you know, iTunes or TuneIn or Spotify, wherever you can get it, there's a date marked to that. So my copyright protections are, are there. As far as demonstrating, but it was since what, 1990 that these rights are available and you can protect what rights with regard to design? And the 1990 date is when architectural works was added to copyright protection. So and since 1990, you can protect uh, buildings that are designed or, or made for human habitation. You can, uh, the plans and also any drawings related to the architectural design. And they're each copyright protectable separately. And each of those copyrights remain with the person who created the work, independently of who ends up owning the building, for example. And that's where it can become very tricky, is when you have someone who owns the building but doesn't own the copyright, a lot of that will get down to um, agreements and whether or not you can, there's usually some allowability for you to reproduce, for example, the layout for the purpose of construction or for, um, for remodeling or that sort of thing, but not for the purpose of creating that plan in another location. So we've talked about brand development. We've talked about content, different types. We've talked about platforms. We've talked about a lot with regard to how you produce. The last thing that I really wanted to touch on today is distribution, because that's where a lot of people get hung up. It's once you produce it, how do you make sure that people are seeing it? How do you create the channels? How do you, how do you create an opportunity to engage with the people that you want to see this that hopefully, you know, it's really funny. Word of mouth is the number one way that most creatives will, will tell me that they get new work. Word of mouth. There really is no such thing as organic word of mouth. Um, you'll get referrals, you'll, you'll do advertising, and maybe you get a client from the advertising, and then maybe they, the client that did the work, or you did the work for, refers you, but it was still the marketing that got you that first job, which led to the referral. So there's always, there's always a method, right? When it, 
one of the most frustrating things that I've heard from creatives who want to create a newsletter as the platform to distribute their content is, well, where do I get the list from? I heard that you can buy a list, but the lists that you can buy are, are they're not clean lists. They're not the kind of people that you may necessarily want to send your work to because they're not going to be your clients. Do you have any strategies, techniques, tips for creating? And, and aside from just take all the business cards you have and send them to all your friends and ask your friends, send them to other people. That is a technique that does, that does work. Aside from that, though, are there any tips, tricks, techniques, hacks that you use to build the kind of list that will be successful? Well, with Snyder Diamond, they have um, a list when people go into the showroom. So that's mostly how they get people is people coming in the door. Um, there's also promotions, like, you know, right when pe if you sign up for the list, that's how a lot of, you get a lot of people um, on your list. I know that I'll just sign up for an email list just to get like 10% off something, you know, so promotions are really good. Um, and yeah, I mean, fairs like this, I've seen a lot of like people have sheets out with email lists, but yeah, having an incentive to sign up is definitely the best way to do it, some kind of promotion or. It, it is, and one of the other things I would like to suggest, so design houses. For designers to do a design house, there's a cost. There's an investment, both in product materials, cash money, and time. Many will say, after you've done the design house, the work is done, people will see it. I would like to suggest that if you can find opportunities as designers to do design houses, that you also make the time to work the design houses. And by work it, I mean when they're doing the walkthroughs, when they're doing the ticket sales, when, they're do, when, the, when the tours are coming through, meet people. And when you do meet them, have a sign-up for your, for your email list. Ask people to sign, you know, to give you their email list or give you their card because when they do, originally you get an opt-in for a mail list and as you build it, you're not going to build your quality list overnight. It takes a long time to build a quality list. And as you build your quality list, keep in mind that if you're building it the right way, that you can ask these people, you're providing them with something that they enjoy. You're giving them content. They enjoy receiving it. They enjoy watching it, reading it, looking at it. They're gonna, you can ask people to send to your friends. I'll tell you, so with the podcast, I, I consider my asks very, very carefully. I, I don't, you may hear some where they'll say, subscribe here, follow me here, like me here, write a review here. Holy cow, man, we just met. You don't, you don't have the right to ask me for all that. I, I can ask somebody for one, maybe two things. So consider your ask and consider your ask carefully. Figure out what your ask is. If you're asking, you know, for me, I want you to subscribe to the podcast. If you could do anything for me, it would be to subscribe to it. That's all I want. For you, send this to a friend. Send this to someone who you think would like my design. Send this to someone who you think likes my style, my ideas. If you do that, you can build a list over time by inputting it, by developing, and you don't need a huge list, do you? I would say get it as big as you can, but yeah, it's good to have. As big as you can yeah, is one of those things. Yeah, um, but I will say that if you don't feel comfortable like managing an email campaign, 
Instagram is just such a, a powerful tool. As we saw so many people raise their hand here, um, and Instagram stories, I mean, that's like an email because you, you see fresh content, and that's what people like. They want to see fresh content on the stories and on the posts. So, yeah, managing a, cal like a content calendar. There's some... Um, I have an app called Preview App on my phone where I can schedule posts. So it, it, it lets me preview what the post will look like on my Instagram feed. And then you can set a time or a date and a time that you want it to post and it reminds you to post. So that, that's really nice too as far, like, as far as like producing fresh content. And since everyone here is very visual and a lot of people are always on their phones and scrolling through Instagram, I would say... Um, if they don't, if they feel overwhelmed by doing a whole email campaign, you know, or they feel like they don't have a large enough list, then maybe Instagram would be a more powerful tool for them, you know, since we are so visual and you see it right away. Uh, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally agree. Yeah. The, the last thing that I wanted to touch on, mm -hmm. the very last thing is probably one of those things that once you start creating content, then you get a new problem that you didn't anticipate. And I'll share my story with you. So when I started publishing the podcast seven years ago, I just started going. I was creating episodes, and then I would put the episodes on a hard drive, and I wouldn't think about it. Then I got to episode 100, and I thought, you know what would be cool? I'm going to do a best of. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to pull some of the best interviews that, that I liked over the last hundred episodes. Then the nightmare began. Then I had to start looking for stuff. Then I had to start figuring out, well, when did I talk to this person and where did I talk to this person and did I talk to this person? And I couldn't figure out a hundred episodes. I had all this content and I did a horrible job sorting it, storing it, tracking it. Because what I realized is, I could actually, and this is one of the, this is where the magic is. When you create good content, you can repackage it, you can re-edit it, you can republish it, you can do so many things with it to create new content from old content that's still good. Um, I started doing throwback Thursday episodes for a couple years. I started looking for things to publish on, on Twitter and then on Instagram from years ago. And, you know, one designer that I interviewed five years ago became an AD100 designer, and I wanted to celebrate that. And I'm like, holy crap, where did I put that? I couldn't find it. I, so that's when I took this two-week sabbatical, for lack of a better term, and I just dug in. And so now I have my system. I know where everything is for me, and I have it stored. But you don't want to ask me, because I learned the hard way. I would look to someone like Peter, and maybe you, I'm going to just ask, I'm going to totally throw you on the spot here. Do you have an easy, simple, not easy, simple system for managing and storing content so that it's easily retrievable? Yes, simple answer. Do you care to share with that? Um, I don't know how simple it is for you guys, but I, I have, if I'm shooting a job that's going to get intense, my, my inspiration, I mean a check, that has an invoice, it'll have a number. So that's super simple. All my jobs are by invoice, and I keep them on hard drives, and so the jobs tie to, the, 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 the photography is numbered the same as my invoicing, the same as the job number, so if I said, 
If I was trying to find those gun pictures, I might have to rack my, I just kind of got to go back and do my jobs and I'll know the, the, the relative time frame of the job numbers and then I find it. I could also search Christie's name or, um, and then it'll come up. So it's super simple. I do have the, still have that same struggle where if I'm putting together a portfolio of something, I'll go back through everything and I know where everything is, but I'll still, you still rack your brains to put it all together, you know. And then all my pro bono work is, is all the same thing. Everybody has a, a job name and every time I work for a, an entity, it's always like one of my big ones is kid save. Kid save the date and then the, the subject number. It's, it's not that, it's not a really hard thing. It's just, it's just like they, they, remember they went over years and years of the Dewey Decimal System with us? It's in your head, I promise, if you rent a school here in the US or anywhere. Um, and you just, you just have order. And, and I think the key thing really is doing it from the beginning because see, my mentor, he had a system all the way, so he had a job number. So I started with a job number and I'm coming up to, I'm just coming up to 20, 2,900 jobs. I'm on 98 right now, which whatever gets me to 3,000. So you start at the beginning, otherwise you're gonna, you're gonna be scrambling like Josh. Exactly, and you don't wanna do that. Becky? Tips? Yeah. Oh, I am very, 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 uh, very strict with my file organization. So I do it by year and then by client, um, and then I just have folders for everything. And by the way, your podcasts are all tagged on on the website. So if you oh, yeah, no, I know. I, 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 well, tool, I know that now. <laughs> and um, and we could always ask the lawyer. I'm sure that you have a an incredible filing system. Yeah, I do everything by year, um, year description, and then client matter number. And um, Trello is an amazing organizational tool. My entire practice, all of my content, um, if I could put my kids on Trello, I would. But everything I have organized in Trello. And the beauty is you can move the cards around. It's very color coordinated. You can label things, and you can also search, which I love. Oh, that's great. Okay. So... With that, here's, here's my hope. My hope is that you can take something from this, that you've learned a, a little bit about photography, writing, producing video, audio content, tracking it, publishing it, distributing it, um, and yes, storing it. So normally when you do a panel like this, you'll go to questions. In lieu of questions, what I'd like to invite you to do is to come up and meet the panelists, introduce yourself, ask your, ask your questions personally, because I always find that there's, it's, it's more engaging and you're, you'll get a better answer from that usually. Thank you very much to thank the you, panel. Josh. This was really awesome. And thank you for attending. Enjoy the rest of the show. That is a wrap on this episode of Convo by Design. Thank you, Becky. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Sheila for your skill and knowledge. If you are listening and interested in retaining their services, you can find their contact information in the show notes. Thank you to the West Edge Design Fair for having me out and allowing me to participate. Thank you, Walker Zanger, for your continued support. And thank you for listening to the show, downloading each episode, and engaging through the socials. Make sure you never miss an episode of the podcast. You can ask Siri to help you. Say, hey, Siri, play Convo by Design podcast. And she will. Thanks for listening, and until next week, keep creating.